Hello and welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. We are your hosts, Vidas Pinkavichus and Oshamut Zeta Pinkavichin. We've been mastering secrets of organ playing for more than 20 years and sharing them on this blog since 2011. On this show, which we create from our home in Vilnius, Lithuania, we strive to help you grow in every area of organ playing, including practice, technique, repertoire, sight reading, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory, harmony, and many others. Our hope is to help you become a complete musician, or what we call as total organist, a program which we have created to help you reach your dreams faster than you would do on your own. If you are new here, we invite you to subscribe to receive free updates of this blog at organduo.lt. By subscribing, you will also receive free video on how to master any organ composition and 10-day organ playing mini course. And now let's go to the podcast for today. Thank you so much, Pamela, for joining in this conversation. Uh, I'm so delighted to be able to see you and uh, to talk to you over the Atlantic Ocean uh, via this internet connection, which is wonderful. And uh, and we last uh, is, have seen each other uh, a year ago, right, uh, in Poland. Uh, it was um, in in the wonderful uh, small town of uh, of uh, let me. Passlink, exactly. Thank you, Pamela. And uh, you played a wonderful, splendid uh, improvisation. Uh, not only improvisation, but uh, in general, organ, historical organ recital, but also included improvisations. And I remember you taught uh, uh, organ music lovers uh, how improvisation is is uh, uh, shaping your musical ideas. Right? It was really incredible to see. Uh, from the distance, I was uh, basically hiding uh, uh, in the organ balcony, trying not to disturb you. So we spent several days, Pamela, in in Passling, and um, I still remember uh, those days very fondly. Thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Vidas. I can't tell you how wonderful it was to see you in Passlink and to have the chance to meet you and some of your friends and colleagues who traveled from Lithuania to come to hear the concert and who ended up helping um, at the organ console, pulling stops and serving as registrants and a wonderful support team, um, which is one of your your great strengths, uh, supporting people and lifting up voices from all around the world about the organ. Thank you, Pamela. Uh, yeah, really, your your recital was was like a like a pinnacle of that uh, fall season, basically. And I know you went later on to Gdansk to another city to perform, right? So yeah. we we couldn't go with you, but I, I've I've heard many great things, except that electricity disappeared, right? Oh, yes, not during my concert, however, uh-huh. so that was fortunate, but yes, during part of the uh, the symposium that mm-hmm. that uh, Christoph was hosting. Yeah, yes. you know, I had this experience with disappearing electricity in my recital too. Last fall, exactly around the same time, I went to 
to Latvia, to, to Liepoja. It has the largest mechanical organ in the world, Liepoja's Cathedral, Holy Trinity Cathedral, Baroque organ expanded in, in, um, in the 19th century tradition. It has 131 stops, majestic instrument. And I played improvisation about the biblical story of David and Goliath. And, uh, you know, the story so well. And uh, David fought Goliath many times, and uh, and the victory was at hand. And uh, five minutes uh, before the ending of the recital, electricity disappeared. Oh, and okay. instead of ending with, with the pompous, triumphant sound of this majestic instrument, it was like a, uh, like a, a humble mezzo-piano. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I later found out that uh, electri uh, electricians, electrical workers, forgot to connect uh, the third fuse, and therefore it was not enough enough power. <laughs> ah, for the ah, instrument. So, they, so they couldn't handle a Goliath. No, only David. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's not about me today. It's about you, Pamela. What have you been doing all this year um, after we we saw each other? I, I know you've been composing, improvising, right? And playing carillon, right? And also influencing uh, many great... Uh, marginalized voices uh, by your music right uh, it's really amazing uh, amazing activities you're doing social activities as well so um, let us start uh, uh, Pamela our conversation with improvisation right because it it's the first uh, step that connects us today and it's very uh, relatable to all our listeners probably and um, what what is what are your ideas about improvisation today? Uh, improvisation. The more keyboard instruments I play, I have to mm -hmm. say. So I started playing the piano, and then added organ, and then added harpsichord, and then added clavichord, and most recently carillon. So these are the really the five historic keyboard instruments that are connected to each other in many ways, but also each has its specific characteristics and approach needed from a keyboardist. But each time I'm really struck with how improvisation is a direct pathway into an instrument. Mm -hmm. And I found that out when I was a child and I would try to recreate hymn tunes or Genevan psalms that I heard on, on recordings and I would go to the piano and try to recreate them. That developed my ears, it developed my improvisation abilities. And then I take that with me when I travel to different organs because each organ, as you know, is so different. And I much prefer to have the, the approach where I am trying to discover the instrument's inner voice when I perform rather than impose something onto the instrument because I think the instrument will be happiest and will sound best and communicate most effectively if I respect its voice. And it's, 
it's easiest, it's most effective to find that voice through improvising. So I try that out with the different stops and registration combinations mm -hmm. on organs. But now I'm, I'm doing this with Carillon. Yes. And the Carillon is teaching me many lessons that I can apply to my organ playing and, and uh, clavichord and harpsichord and piano as well in that the carillon is an extremely public instrument. It's a tower of bells, and those bells resound in sometimes for several kilometers, depending on what's around and how humid it is. And so it's, the sound is blanketing people whom I never even see when I'm playing. So I don't know exactly who the audience is. But when I come down the elevator or the stairs from the, the tower then um, and step out into the street, I see there are people from all over the world at the base of the tower, some of them standing and listening, others just passing by and hearing it as they pass. But I also realized that so much of the Carillon repertoire, as has been true for a while of the organ, is... Um, centered on, uh, it's, it's rather Western European-centric. Um, much of it is, is earlier music. Not all of that is ideal on every carillon. And many of it, much of it was written by dead white men. And so that... <laughs> <laughs> Let us stop right there. It's so much to talk about and we have to unpack it, right? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Pamela. First of all, um, when you mentioned carillon and uh, playing from the, uh, from the uh, highest uh, peak right and you you're looking down on people and seeing strangers passing by or listening it reminded me also last year we have this carillon in vilnius too and the carillon festival at the end of the of the uh, summer also where we met uh, where i met your colleague uh, Tiffany. Exactly, Tiffany. Yes. Uh, and she played spectacularly too and and you know uh, it was really interesting to see that the sound from upstairs is some, so much different from what you hear uh, downstairs in the in the in the square, right? Yes. Uh, in the public place where people uh, gather. So, um, and you cannot really practice on that on that instrument, right? So, let me ask you this: Do do you? Do you practice uh, on this instrument uh, uh, where you play car carillon or you perform right away? Do you play improvisations? H how is this uh, process for you going on the yes. carillon? So we have, at the University of Michigan, we have three practice carillons. And they have tiny little bells attached to them, but not the great big bells. So we can hear what we're doing. But we're learning our, our notes this way and getting familiar with the 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 um, tactile sensation of the instrument, where things feel in space so that our proprioception is, is aligned with the instrument we're playing. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, we really um, try to prepare things well before we play in public, but there are a few times, um, such as five to seven at the end of the workday, where students may practice 10 minutes at a time um, and take turns 
to, to try things out because, of course, the big bells are much, much heavier than the practice instruments. Yes. And one has to train ergonomically to figure out the best technique and tempi for um, the performance situation. And that's important to have that time as well. Well, exactly. And, uh, and uh, you're so, so lucky to have this practice instrument, right? Because otherwise you would uh, have a very rare opportunity to climb that, uh, uh, that bal not balcony, but tower, right? And play in front of the people. Um, yes. do, you improv do you prefer improvising on the carillon or playing uh, written music? Uh, when I first started, and before I was completely familiar with mm -hmm. the distance between the keys, um, it's, it's a keyboard built for a giant. I'll send you some photos that we mm -hmm. could post, yes. and maybe a video as well. And, um, and, and so the distance is far greater than on the organ or any other keyboard instrument. So before I had, had developed my tactile memory, I almost exclusively improvised mm -hmm. so that I could just connect with the sound and watch my hands and feet on the keyboard and the pedal board. <laughs> and the same thing is true of, of the clavichord. Mm -hmm. Now, the clavichord is a very dynamic instrument, and it requires arm weight and leg weight in playing the the pedals, and it's so interesting because that's the quietest keyboard instrument, but that playing the clavichord informed me the most about how best to play the carillon, which mm -hmm. is the largest keyboard instrument. Interesting, right? Yeah. Fascinating. But it's also dynamic. It's a dynamic instrument. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the shaping the tone, shaping one note to the next, like a string of pearls, as C.P.E. Bach said, is, is just really a critical part of playing musically. Yes, and both instruments, clavichord and carillon, um, have this ability to, to, to play different uh, dynamic levels, right? Not only exactly. one dynamic level like the organ, unless you change the stops or use the crescendo pedal or swell pedal, but also your touch affects dynamic range. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, Pamela, it's interesting, uh, you came to Carillon later in your career, right? And you knew about improvisation um, so much in depth before that. I would suspect that, uh, as you said, that improvisation was a good teacher in, in learning to play a new instrument like Carillon for you, was it not? Oh, absolutely, because I could find discover things such as instead of playing very quick scales the way I might on the organ, I, it's going to be more idiomatic to the carillon to play alternating hands, so a zigzag motion. So that informs me as a composer as well as, as an improviser. And instead of playing very quick pedal notes the way I might in a buxtehude preludium, uh, that that the bells just will completely obliterate each other if if played too quickly in the bass register. So it, it generally sounds best to have slower moving bass notes and um, sometimes quicker moving treble notes. And, and it also varies so much from carillon to carillon. But again, if I had imposed repertoire I expected to hear based on my organ training onto the carillon, I would have been playing things that didn't sound ideal for the instrument. But through mm -hmm. improvisation, the instrument could teach me 
how it sounds best. And that way I can compose mm -hmm. for what sounds optimal for the carillon and also for other players what is most idiomatic or um, comfortable for playing the carillon. Yes, you again became became a student, right, uh, of this instrument, and the instrument taught you many great things. Um, but Pamela, can you share with us um, what uh, what has uh, inspired you to to take on uh, playing the carillon? Uh, did you feel like uh, inner drive to it uh, from from your uh, like youth uh, or uh, or later in life you discovered this instrument uh, how did it happen well it, it happened circumstantially because in ann arbor we have two grand carillons which is yes. highly unusual and um you know my husband steve uh, yes. was in law school and he would tell me when he was in law school decades ago now that he would come out every noon hour to eat his lunch outside and from the law school he could hear the bells and that would help him when he was studying law so intensively and just the intricacies and reading very complex documents it would help him to feel balance in his day to have this taste of beauty right in the middle of his day so that statement has stayed with me. And then the other thing is that I do like to make, um, have myself become a beginner every year at something so that I remember how that feels and I can uh, take that feeling, that sensation into my pedagogy. I think it makes me a better teacher to remember what are the steps one needs to take when starting something new. And, um, and yeah, so those three aspects, I guess, drew me to the instrument. And then I love the sound. It's really magical how it bounces off the different buildings around it and, and watching people respond to it. And interesting, Pamela, when you improvise on the carillon, when you are in the tower, right, you are hearing very differently uh, than what people are hearing downstairs. Uh, how do you know where to speed up, where to slow down, uh, or where to play louder and softer, How what the gradation of it, right? Uh, not to overdo it. How do you find this balance while sitting up high in the, in the clouds, basically? Yes, it's recording and listening. I always play with the window or door open uh -huh. so that I can hear real sounds. We also have some microphones in the bell tower, but uh -huh. I recorded with Paul Ekes, the um, recording engineer at Oberlin, uh, this past summer. And he wanted bells placed on a balcony at an adjacent building to get that ambient sound, as well as microphones in the, um, in the tower itself. Yeah. So we had, we had the best of both that way. And just being able to hear the playbacks and to listen to other people play is invaluable because um, you're right. Some many things have to be exaggerated when when one is playing a 12-ton bell <laughs> as the lowest bass note. And basically, it's I suspect it's a teamwork, right? If somebody else, if you want somebody to record your music uh, just for practice purpose, yeah, right? So that you could later play it back and uh, learn from your practice, uh, right? Somebody has to set up that microphone or recorder 
for you. Yes, we do have some internal possibilities of just bringing a laptop and recording. But uh -huh. again, then we're getting the internal sounds of the bells rather than the external. So if I really want the sound that the people will experience, which is optimal, then I do need it, collaborators with uh -huh. microphones outside of the tower. Fantastic. Wonderful idea. Uh, while talking to you, Pamela, <laughs> I just got an idea. Maybe I also should uh, um, get in contact with uh, with somebody who is managing this Carillon in Vilnius. It's a Dutch Carillon recently built, and um, nobody plays in Lithuania in Vilnius. Nobody, there is no no real Carillon player, Carillonor. Uh, there are a few in in Klaipeda in my hometown and a few in Kaunas in the second uh, greatest city in Lithuania but no in Vilnius basically and um, but they have Carillon festivals right in Vilnius too so I think uh, I think I I'll try to contact somebody uh, you know from this festival maybe somebody who could let me in and uh, you know, get uh, a few minutes on this instrument to to improvise a little bit to get familiar, because I can suspect that that uh, as an organist uh, I can feel greater connection with this carillon too, just like yourself, right? Absolutely, mm -hmm. having the organ background is is really. Uh, ideal for being able to approach the carillon mm -hmm. and then um, and, and you have a sense of large physical spaces too from having played in large concert halls and churches mm -hmm. uh, so thank would, you Pamela for inspiration yeah we'd love to hear what you come up with yeah uh, maybe I'll, I'll if I'm lucky you know if they allow me to, to touch this instrument I, maybe I make a video and, and share yeah. it with you too wonderful yeah. But I need, and then a second person needs to be downstairs recording. And I have a few students from our Undamaris studio, who whom I teach every every Wednesday. So I might invite a few of them to listen, you know, and to record me, you know, yeah. or even uh, they could uh, climb upstairs too. And try it. It's so and inspiring. Which switch uh, places, and uh, yeah, that would be a wonderful opportunity for all of us. Yes, and if your students get engaged with that, who knows? Maybe they can help to develop you, and they can help to develop the year-round organ culture in, in Vilnius. And wonderful. Uh, yeah, we could even have one practice session instead of at the church. We could have, if they allow us, we could uh, gather in the tower and uh, and practice. You know some organ related sounds maybe excerpts from the their pieces that are playing on the carillon too yes mm -hmm. absolutely and then they could uh, learn the art of arranging to yes, figure yes. Out where they would have to thin the texture and um, accommodate the pedals and the, the different ranges of the instruments, but it, it it's so informative, I think, and, and really wonderful for an organist development. The other thing that could happen in Vilnius, because you have this fabulous city uh, that's a, a large university yes. uh, center as well, is that you could develop uh, multidisciplinary endeavors I'm finding this also at the University of Michigan. For instance, last week I met with a dancer 
who came as a guest professor to work with dance students. Yes. She's Cuban born. Her family stems from Cuba. They live in Miami. She came up to work with dancers to teach them how to improvise. And she had this powerful experience sitting under a bell once when she was a child. So she wanted to bring dancers to come and, and improvise movements to the sounds of the bells. So we worked um, quite a lot last week. And this choreographer even came to the, the console, we could say using organ terms, to the keyboard and pedal of the, of the carillon and wanted to play, but instead of playing in the conventional way with fists and toes, uh, she started dancing um, by making gestures on every which way she would put her cheek up on the music rack mm -hmm. and then place her hands on the extreme ranges of the, of the carillon and ring the bells there with various gestures. And it, she completely embodied her sound. And that taught me several things that I am now bringing to my students about embodying their sound. Mm -hmm. I've been talking about that, but until she did that, I didn't have the, a really in-depth example of how to do it. Mm -hmm. So they, we informed each other. It was so exciting. Wonderful, wonderful uh, example of collaboration, right, between the arts and different uh, disciplines. Sometimes we do we do those events in in our cultural center at the university. Uh, for example, um, a couple three years or a couple years ago, I improvised with the it's called kinetic uh, kinetic theater troupe, uh, a group of um, of uh, da basically dancers actors, but they 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 act without words only through movement. And uh, and we together improvised uh, one hour long length uh, um, uh, recital or event, uh, basically about uh, the story of creation. I was at the organ bench, and uh, they were downstairs where the altar is, and uh, they embodied the sounds that I was making about the story of creation. Seven days, you know, seven movements, and those things. How fabulous and, and fascinating for an audience as well, because you're doing something that no one has done before. Mm -hmm. And they know as they sit there, this is a moment that th this will happen and it won't be quite the same ever again. Exactly. So they are witnessing something extremely extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, and uh, by the time our listeners hear this conversation, uh, uh, I will be performing again with them, uh, improvising a story of Exodus from the Bible, basically, uh, where Moses led uh, uh, the nation uh, through the Red Sea, you know, from Egypt, right? Uh, yes. On the organ and together with the, basically, actors and dancers too. Oh, fabulous. I wish I could be there. Is, uh, I'm sure uh, we'll make a video, at yeah. least of the organ sound, but we'll need a second camera of the of the movement too. Sure. So wonderful. Pamela, uh, what else have you done collaboratively uh, besides uh, with the, with the uh, Cuban dancer? Um, I am working with my students this uh, year, my Carillon students, 
at the University of Michigan um, to create in a project called Global Rings. So the rings are ringing the bells, but the, the rings are also as if you throw a stone into a body of water and you see these concentric circles yes. or rings spreading out. And uh, what we are doing is we are taking folk tunes and stories and issues from around the world. Mm-hmm. And we are com- I'm teaching them how to improvise on these stories and folk tunes and then compose for the carillon so that they, when they are approaching the carillon, they have to sense its voice, learn its voice. And at the same time, they are lifting up voices from different places in the world. And these are particularly voices of, from people and cultures that have been marginalized historically and, again, currently. Um, so I can give some examples. I am working with a Venezuelan journalist who's taking Carillon lessons. Mm-hmm. She told the story. There's a, there's a port in Venezuela, and, and we know that there's so much political unrest there that um, people have not been safe, and they do not have enough food, and the cost of living has skyrocketed, so it's not possible to access the care that they need. So there are people trying to seek asylum outside of Venezuela because their conditions are so dangerous. And some people who have not been able to access the paperwork have left from an area called that Christopher Columbus, uh, back in the 15th century, explored and named La Boca del Dragón, the mouth of the dragon. People were leaving from this mouth of the dragon bay area um, to seek asylum somewhere to escape the the horrific situation in their country. And over 60 people have disappeared. The majority of them are young women. Mm -hmm. This journalist wants to figure out what's happening. And so she is writing... um, we're co-creating a, a Carillon piece based on that story. And part of that, it, uh, she's bringing in the sounds of the deep waters and then the sounds of the dragon, as well as then uh, an old Venezuelan lullaby called Dormito mi, uh, Dormite Mi Niño. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's singing a loved one to sleep because the family members of these young women are beside themselves and they're wanting just hold them to hold them in their arms and comfort them. And um, so she's telling this story through music and she will also write poetry about it. Another student um, is can a Japanese. Can I interrupt you for a second? Because uh, we will come back, of course, to your next train of thought. But uh, w- since you mentioned Venezuela, I know that uh, a lot of people are escaping the country to, let's say, um, uh, Colombia or Costa Rica, right? Or, or the United States. Uh, and also people who are staying in the country, they are trying to find um, some alternate ways of revenue, of trying to find some kind of uh, ways to to feed their families. And since the government is, um, you know, 
corrupt there and uh, they do support some with something but their bolivar and currency is so uh, inflated and the value is you know so low now that their i think monthly monthly salary average salary is six dollars in in venezuela it's unbelievable but the prices is like almost everywhere else you know so that's 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 basically terrible and uh, what these people are doing is uh, looking for ways to earn money let's say online on the internet and mm -hmm. um, you probably know pamela about uh, oshres and mine uh, let's say hobby of uh, drawing uh, comics now and yeah, yeah, yeah. about the hedgehog and and uh, and um, and what uh, piglet right pink and spiky and posting them online i i don't just post them on let's say facebook like everybody else but i post them on on the platform called steam and yes. on that steam platform there are thousands of venezuelans too who are looking for new ways of um, of support themselves and their family because this platform generates 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 um, money and shares with uh, with their users so uh, you could spread the world word uh, with with some of your friends who need more support by sharing it's like a social media platform but in unlike facebook let's say where facebook takes all the revenue for themselves from the advertisers um, steam platform shares the revenue with its users uh, you know in variety of ways and um, uh, so that's just one aspect of that um, platform but uh, since it's related to what we were talking about earlier i thought that uh, it would be helpful to mention it yes thank you so much mm -hmm. thank you steam s-t-e-e-m thank you yes. And, so, um, so uh, please continue, Pamela. It's very interesting to to uh, to to find out about your other collaborative projects as well. Yes. Yeah, so yesterday I was playing the carillon for the lunch recital, and uh, a young woman came up to listen and uh, commented about how much she needed to hear this and how healing it was to her. And I asked her to tell me her story, and she said, I was a student here, but I'm from Hong Kong, and I'm just visiting for a week. And when I got off the plane, I got the news about the protesters, um, the, the one protester being shot in, in Hong Kong. And she said, I felt as if my world was crumbling, mm -hmm. because we need to speak up for what is right and what is free for our people and mm -hmm. and she said and then this happens there in hong kong none of us have guns there's no such thing as citizens owning guns or weapons it was a peaceful protest and this happens and she said thank you for the music and then i said to her i told her about global rings and i said to her do you have a folk tune or something that um you sing in hong kong with your group and she said the protesters sing this song and then she showed me a video of this and then later sent me the the music to the just the melody to this and she said we sing this every time together we're together and i said what does it mean and she said it says that a, 
a revolution is not just for the people who are the, in the place, but the revolution is for all people who know that when an injustice happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. And that means the revolution is for, is for all of us. And because we, we are fighting for the freedom of some people, it means we're fighting for freedom for the whole world because it's a concept that has these global rings that, that resonate and expand outward. Exactly. And, so that, and then she told me that one of, the, one of the main aspects that keeps these protesters coming together and still believing there is a better life ahead that there can be is because they can sing together. It's their music that brings them together. So she said to me, I give you this music and if you play this on the carillon, you will help to spread those rings mm -hmm. from Hong Kong to, to Michigan in the United States and then everywhere in between. And this is the same thing that this Venezuelan um, journalist is saying. We need to lift up these voices that have been silenced and that have been oppressed. And each, I, I can tell you another dozen stories because each one of my students is coming up with a completely different story. Some about climate change and running out of water. And another one about wind turbines and renewable energy, but then also the noise that that causes for the people around it, that all the layers of changing society. And then another about, um, another is a descendant of a, a Japanese kimono maker. Mm -hmm. and, and his grandparents were making kimonos uh, when just at the beginning of World War II. And when... Um, and then in their village, their, uh, their heat, their um, wood supplies, coal supplies were all cut off, food supplies. So they, they were freezing in the winter. So in order to heat their small home, they had to start burning these beautiful kimonos they had made for their entire lifetime of art making in order to survive. And so he's writing a piece about that. And then as they're burning the kimonos, the atomic bomb fell. Mm -hmm. And that it's laced with the trauma of that. So again, it has so many layers of how did this happen and what, what happens to the people who survived and what, happened to, what about the people who just completely vanished in that moment. And he's now putting this ancestral trauma expression into his work in, in his, his way of processing it, but at the same time, a way to say, from the, to ring out from the bells, think about the cause and effect of our actions and how we, how we treat one another and the many complicated um, thoughts and ideas and technologies that go into th this kind of situation. Mm. It's amazing that uh, music can connect all of us, right? People who have been privileged historically and people who have been marginalized too. And, uh, and music can 
lift up their voices too. Um, if we use music creatively, for example, as you did probably taking uh, lullabies and folk tunes from their countries and putting them into original compositions, collaborations with other artists and spreading that cultural phenomenon uh, in your area, this cultural awareness of marginalized people. I think this is uh, really public service that you're doing, right? Thank you. Well, my hope is, thank you, is, is that then the next time someone from Hong Kong walks by the bells, they say, oh, they're not saying, oh, pretty bells, I, uh, it must be some European dead composer. Instead, they're saying, this is profound. This, this bell is lifting me up. This music is connecting to me. Mm-hmm. And when a Venezuelan person walks by they, and hear the, hears the lullaby from their homeland, they can say that. And the same thing with a, a, a Cuban immigrant or a Mexican immigrant or a Syrian refugee. I mean, people from all over the world need to know that their voices matter and that they are humans and they will be treated and lifted up as humans because, as you know, there's far too much going on in the world that is dehumanizing and putting down and silencing people's voices. You know, it's so so deep what you're talking about, right, uh, Pamela, and uh, uh, taking those voices from uh, from other countries uh, which have been silenced, right, and putting them into public uh, uh, pu- public uh, view for everyone to see and hear. It's 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 really important in this day and age. And with music, it's it's kind of uh, not very difficult to do if you if you take uh, for example a folk tune or a song or lullaby from that region from that country let's say from syria right um, everybody can can appre- start appreciating it and you can put it into the western context to to uh, to make it a little bit more understandable uh, for western people or western audience right playing with the western instrument let's say like a carillon or organ or or even a clavichord right you invent yes. new sounds on the old instrument basically and i think this type of creativity when you take uh, different ideas uh, seemingly unrelated ideas and but you mix them together in a new context creating new shapes and new cultural phenomena is um, it's it's a way to go today right because uh, um, for a long time, our music was influenced by Western ideas, right? Uh, Gregorian chant, uh, Lutheran chorales, Genevan psalms, and so on. Classical music, right? Yes. But now people, f- for decades now, have been exploring uh, places that have nothing to do with Western world. And this this musical idea of Western world expands basically basically it it enriches western world appreciating about the cultures and lives of other regions don't you think oh yes vitas and and you said this beautifully it's really mm-hmm. an opportunity to build bridges instead of build walls i mean mm-hmm. so we're connecting from country to country and we're we who have grown up with a a eurocentric um 
music in classical music, in Western classical music, now can learn from other cultures and then bring that into our musicianship. Ultimately, I think this is the most sustainable path also for classical music. So I'm working within various organizations to uh, commission people of color, commission people from other uh, uh, various countries to compose for the organ, to compose for the harpsichord, to compose for the carillon, mm -hmm. to tell their stories. And I'm also interviewing people. This is another approach, if I may tell you about another project. Excellent. Um, it's, it's called Belonging and a Carillon Call to Care for All. And I, I will tell you that I do, uh, with Global Rings and Belonging, I plan to create organ versions of this as well. So organists can take this into the concert hall and to bring it to young children, to have these conversations about lifting people up and building bridges. Uh, with uh, Belonging, I'm using the word belonging in two ways because we, uh, I think it's a basic human need, such as drink and needing food and water and, and shelter. A basic human need is also to have a sense of belonging. To yes, belong. because we are social creatures, so social animals, as some scientists say. We are. Mm -hmm. And so telling people they don't belong is devastating. It's taking away a basic human need. And using the word belonging as property, as has been done in the US with enslavement of African people, is, is cutting that word and dicing it into um, horrific crimes against humanity that have just everything opposite to do with the sense of comfort that comes from belonging, belonging to a family or a group of friends and feeling lifted up by the people with whom we connect in that way. So I started interviewing people. I interviewed uh, a student who was uh, from Ethiopia, Muslim, and in studying engineering, well, she's, the engineering population is still very low in terms of the uh, women participants. It's very predominantly um, men in that field. So she would enter her engineering courses, and she said, I had three strikes against me. I'm black, I'm Muslim, and I'm a woman. And so she would be put into design groups with, with three white men who would immediately close their circle. They would develop a circle of chairs and have her push her outside of the circle. I mean, not literally push, but just close their bodies to her yeah. and then talk about their designs and not include her, assuming she wouldn't know what she's doing because she's black, she's Muslim, and she's woman. Well, it came time to building the designs, and she that's her specialty. And most students are um, learn, have learned more at the student age about building or designing things than building them. And she would be the one to solve it after watching them not be able to solve it. So she'd win their grudging respect only to have that class end and a new class begin where that was repeated mm -hmm. over and over every semester of her studies. Right. So I wrote, I wrote a piece called Morning Call 
for her. And it starts with this call to prayer that you hear in countries such as Ethiopia when you're waking up. It's just the most hauntingly beautiful sound bouncing off the mountains and the buildings in the way that bells can. So I put this into a carillon setting and then have a B section in the piece that's Arab, uh, an Arab dance that's a more secular piece because not all Arab people are Muslim, not all uh, Muslims are Arab. And so I wanted to make that distinction that we have individuals. So I studied Arab music to know how to compose in this style. Mm-hmm. And then in the second piece I wrote for that, I interviewed an African-American woman named Jackie who um, auditioned on piano. She wanted to become a concert pianist. She auditioned uh, in a school of music conservatory and found that um, the head of the piano department, while she was playing for memory, performing her audition, he marched around the piano saying, oh, did you hear that? Can you believe that? Saying disparaging remarks the entire time. He wanted to undermine her confidence so that, she, uh, because he did not want to admit a person of color into so-called his conservatory. Yes. And he, he, it affected her confidence so much that she never played the piano again. Mm-hmm. So I, the second piece is for her. The third piece is dedicated to a survivor of the Holocaust who was seven years old when Hitler invaded her homeland of Poland. And she and her mother and sister and male relatives were all sent to Auschwitz eventually after several other camps and labor, labor camps and concentration camps and she and her mother were sent to the gas chambers and they were waiting all night and all day wondering if the gas was coming through if they were dying or what and finally someone came through this just terror-filled place of these people thinking they were dying to say get out now because Uh, The soldiers ran off because they heard the Russian army was coming near. Mm -hmm. And so they escaped that. But by that time, her mother was so ill and then received news that all of her husband, her sons, and her brothers were all murdered, Mm -hmm. um, that she, in the death march toward Bergen-Belsen that they had to take right after that, started collapsing. And on the day of the final liberation, she died. So she lost uh, uh, 28 out of 35 relatives. Oh, my God. Goldie Schachter Caleb is her her name, and she's written a book called The Last Selection about her story. Mm -hmm. Her husband is a Jewish cantor, and he shared with me chants that he collected from Eastern Europe in the 70s. He went around with a tape recorder and interviewed cantors who were singing chants that had never been written down and he collected it and it's been his life's work to notate these. Sylvan Caleb was a professor at Eastern Michigan University where you, one of you, your institutions from which exactly. you graduated, yes. you and Oshra, he's the cantor who did this and it's his wife 
who is the survivor. Mm -hmm. And he shared with me chants of lamentation that had not been notated until he preserved them, lifting up the voices of these cantors that would have been lost. Mm -hmm. And so some of those chants are in my piece now called A, a Voice of Weeping because the, the voices that are heard in here were never given a chance to grieve because they were undergoing such severe trauma all the time. They could never show any emotion or they would be shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's, it's a tragic story, but you are creating a different story out of this tragic story today, which is which actualizes in, in a present situation even differently, right? You are you are probably uniting people rather than uh, uh, putting up walls and uh, dividing them, right? And I think that uh, when you mentioned that we can uh, take uh, melodies and tunes from other cultures and cr start creating um, our own versions of it, Western versions, I think uh, it goes both ways. Uh, uh, people from other regions can take our melodies, right? And um, let's say, let's say create something in their on their instruments on venezuelan instruments um on on syrian instruments on on uh, let's say japanese or any other um, let's say marginalized uh, community instruments that they they have uh, today that would be a great way of co to collaborate as well don't you think it would be so stimulating musically mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, socially, it's so engaging because it's building communities. It's not tearing them apart. And yeah. that's what I really think is at the heart of the, the deepest power of music that we as musicians can offer is to bring people together and to lift them up. Because basically, all those atrocities come from the fact that um we don't know other cultures we don't appreciate enough right we don't care enough because we don't know them we don't show interest of course media plays a big role in it and in selecting what they show us today yes. and shaping our opinions but this is another story which i won't go into detail but but everyone is aware of of social media today for example that your feed on facebook is not linear linear or or chronological you're not seeing posts from your friends you know chronologically no they are algorithmically designed to to shape your opinions um, and this really concerns free speech and people get silenced if you say something against certain political um, let's say uh, phenomenon or, or candidate you might get banned from facebook let's say and and twitter and youtube so free speech is really important today and i mentioned steam platform it's a censorship resistant platform nobody can take away your your voice there and nobody can ban you from 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 steam because uh, there is no one centralized authority there it's a decentralized platform and therefore you own your voice you own the, your own content there mm -hmm. so people who flee centralized content platforms uh, who get uh, deplatform 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 
deplatformed, uh, right? They, they get banned from Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. They come to Steam and express themselves freely. That's one of uh, other significant features of our platform called Steam, which could be valuable in in your um, in your um, situation as well. If you meet people who cannot, let's say in Hong Kong, right, they cannot yes. say freely uh, things against their government, right? Yes. On Facebook or on, on other social media, which oh, is banned, yeah. right? Uh, yes. They get tracked and uh, they they would get in trouble. On Steam, they can say anything they want. No, nobody will silence them. That's that's another thing. Well, so, uh, and well, what if someone posts hate speech on Steam? How is that? Is there any regulation for that? Community, community decides what is uh, abuse. For example, if uh, obviously there are trolls, right? Uh, If you post, if let's say if you are a prominent blogger, right? If you have a big uh, influence on the platform, big stake, and um, you're a visible public figure there, you inevitably get drawn attention of uh, the bad and and the good things too so uh, the trolls would post some ugly comments you know even automated like a bot you know to 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 demise your content but then there is a feature called um, <clears throat> flagging you can flag your uh, your abusers and uh, if enough people with influence uh, uh, flag those trolls, for example, they they get simply silenced, uh, pushed away. Their their comments are no longer um, no longer either visible or no longer earning earning um, yeah. money because yeah. it's it's related with with earning uh, money. So so yes, it's on Steam. The community dictates what is valuable, not central authority. That's so good to know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. And uh, and Pamela, uh, you you're mentioning also uh, Carillon improvisation uh, and also composing, right? I was interested uh, about your uh, your recent. Uh, what's your recent uh, piece? Before we end this conversation, can you share with us uh, what is the project that you are working on right now? Mm, the, well, the Global Rings is full of compositions, and I am contributing many to uh-huh. that. The Belonging is just finished. I've also taken on um, some songs that I'm writing or pieces um, for keyboard instruments, um, speaking up against gun violence and mm. the massacre of children. And uh, one is called Enough is Enough. I'm, I've also contributed to the Me Too movement with a piece. Um, that's um, dedicated to survivors worldwide, as well as the Michigan State University gymnasts who were abused by a former doctor. And um, the the piece uh, gains momentum as if one person speaks up and then another person joins her voice and then another person joins voices. So it, it, it stacks up in the way that communities grow and that um, injustices can be revealed mm-hmm. if we build supportive communities. Uh, so I have many, really my pieces are, are all geared toward that 
Right now, I'm always um, working on pedagogical projects as well. And so I'm creating some new materials for um, new students to the clavichord, new students to the carillon, um, and new students to the organ that involve improvisation. But with all of these, I plan to include these global uh, voices and um, marginalized voices so that that awareness can grow through every part of my work. I'm doing this as I program concerts to represent people, composers from around the world and tunes from around the world too. So it's, it's really a, a beautiful time of life because so many aspects of my work are intersecting and coming together. I, I mean, I have this sort of image of a flower opening that each petal represented a different part of the work, but now they're coming together um, for work that feels really urgent and necessary. And I'm, I'm hoping that um, some of your listeners will join in and send folk tunes or decide to commission composers from around the world or feature pieces that are not known for, from countries in the world or people in the world who have been marginalized. I'd invite everyone to, to join in and develop our own community doing this. Absolutely, Pamela. You know, we have a global audience from 89 countries and uh, thousands of listeners eventually have the opportunity to listen to our conversation. What would be your advice, your final thought um, to people who live in oppressive regime countries uh, run by oppressive regimes or corrupt governments uh, who who would like to play keyboard instruments like organ or other instruments, uh, but what finding you know their voices silenced or or in places where it's dangerous to play organs? There are obviously places like that. Um, what would be your advice to to people like that? Oh, that's a really uh, profound question, and I I have to say that I live in a situation of privilege in that that I'm not facing that and so I first of all have to acknowledge that I have so much more to learn from the people who are in oppressed circumstances than what I have to offer um, I I would encourage them to share their voices in safe places with um, people who care about lifting up their voices mm -hmm. and um, to, with improvisation, I think it's possible also to tuck our, our personal meaning or, or um, desire to build these bridges and to lift up these voices, to tuck them into artworks. And it might mean in certain countries that there those not all of the meanings, the personal meanings, are revealed to a public, but it's still a, a pathway to express the voice that is otherwise silenced. And then I, I just hope for more and more opportunities mm -hmm. to connect um, musicians who care about this and artists, dancers, visual artists, such as your your father, expressed a great deal of of emotion and affect in his paintings to connect people with the arts to do this as well as to connect people with legal 
access to have safe places to go because the basic human needs of belonging, but of food and of drink and safety sure. and mm-hmm. shelter and, and trust, being able to trust, mm-hmm. they, that those all have to be addressed first and foremost, and it's urgent. It's, it, it has to happen now. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Pamela, for your deep insights. I hope they will bring hope to, I hope they will bring hope, right, to people, people's hearts who are struggling, who are in difficult situations, uh, maybe not now, maybe in the future, or maybe they were in the past, maybe they know some family number, family members who are struggling. Yes. Um, music connects us, right, never divides us. And uh, we can take it even further, this type of concept, and collaborate, uh, making um, cultures unite and um, get to know each other better. And we will have a much safer and peaceful world, right? Absolutely. And it also means for those of us who are in positions where we're not oppressed, in the privileged positions, to dare to go into um, places to lean into conversations that are difficult and to dare to to live with some discomfort because we live in comfort when we're free and when we are not oppressed. But when other people are not living in that comfort, we have to have a level of discomfort that calls us to to action in some respect. And I just wanted to also empower those of us who are in that free situation to dare to lean in. Mm-hmm. Excellent, Pamela. Where could uh, people find you and your work online? Because we've sh- talked about so many great things today. I, I, I really hope people get uh, uh, an urge to visit you and your website, right? So please uh, spell it out for us. Oh, sure. My website is www.pamelawriterfeenstra.com. We could probably post that with the video because I have such a long name. And also, I'm happy to share my email. It's Pamela.WriterFeenstra at gmail.com if you'd like to send stories or folk tunes um, mm-hmm. and think about ways of collaborating or creating your own compositions. I have to say, I have to, uh, I'm doing so much work that I have to update this work, these stories that you've heard into my website. So not everything is reflected there yet, but it will be. One thing at a time, Pamela, right? That's right, Vitas. And you always inspire me for how you keep your website so updated and you have made such great connections around the world with people who can now have conversations like these. And thanks to your, your work of building that community. Thank you, Pamela. I'm not doing anything sort of extraordinary. I'm just sharing what what I do. I'm sharing my process, not only result. Yes, I, I'm sharing a video of the recital. That's normal for me. But I, I'm also sharing my ideas, my thoughts, that I, what I work today on, what I'm struggling on, what I'm feeling the most excited about. Those things take a little bit more time, of course, to post. But if you do it, you know, regularly, it's it becomes a habit, and you kind of start to miss this activity if for some reason you didn't post today, which is rare for me. But but it's like a habit. It's like like brushing your teeth, right? 
Yes. Well, that's that's the way to make sure you do it, is to mm -hmm. consider it part of the daily routine. Excellent. Uh, let's hope our listeners will visit Pamela um, uh, Pamela's website and uh, will check out uh, what she has to offer, not only about uh, her wonderful improvisation treatise, two-volume treatise, right, which we covered in previous conversations in the past, uh, but also she has a collection about muse, right? Uh, so Pamela, is, she has so much to offer to the world, and I hope we'll meet again and, and talk uh, even face-to-face -face about those global issues as well. I would love that, Fidas, to see you in Osha again. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I have a feeling that we will, either this on this side of the pond or on your side of the pond. Yes, come and visit, please. <laughs> This blog is supported by Total Organist, the most comprehensive organ training program online, where you will find courses for every area of organ playing, including technique, practice, sight reading, repertoire playing, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory and harmony, with hundreds of scores and thousands of exercises. Here is what some of the students are saying. Hugh writes, the sight reading course has helped me tremendously. Thank you very much for your SS courses and all your help. Robert writes, I found the fingerings, registration ideas and general comments to be excellent. John writes, I have found your download very helpful. It was really excellent. I have watched some of your teaching videos and when I read your instructions. I try to imagine you are there teaching me. You may feel disappointed that I am two three days behind, but I am a slow learner, and I have committed to taking the time to get it right as you say. But the other night my wife commented that she had never heard me play such a detailed melody in the left hand so well. My left hand is generally poor. Robert writes, It has been a great pleasure in my life of having discovered your courses and material as well as the YouTube work of recordings. You have a calm and pleasant way of teaching. Ron writes, Hi Vidas and Osha, thank you guys. What a wonderful response to my email note to you. You've got me right, and I feel you understand my level of playing. Yes, at home and lucky that I have an organ for that reason. I am paying attention to this, and I am going to try this haha no longer secret model. Yes, and I love Caesar Frank too. What is very nice about your blog podcast is that Osha and Vidas are like a Socratic dialogue, and by bouncing things off of each other, so much more information comes out and is expressed. Your comments contain a wealth of information and understanding. I really appreciate this. It is very inspiring and will keep us moving forward. Would you like to receive the same or even better results that our students are getting? If so, join them at organduo.lt slash total dash organist. And of course, you will get the first month free too. You can cancel anytime. Also, if you haven't yet subscribed to receive free updates of this blog, make sure you do that at organduo.lt. By subscribing, you will also receive free video how to master any organ composition and 10-day organ playing mini course. 
This was Vidas. And Usha from Secrets of Organ Playing. And remember, when you practice, miracles happen.